Well, good morning, everybody. You know, one time, a man brought his son, his demon-possessed son, to Jesus. And, well, let's pick up in the conversation in Mark chapter 9, verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or the water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, I lay these words on the altar as an offering to you. And I pray that you will take these frail human words and empower them to speak help and hope to all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, uh, it seems like a lot of people just naturally believe. It comes easy for them. They never have any doubts at all. And then others... Uh, plagued with doubts. Believers, but all their lifetimes struggle with doubt. And I think, I think I'm in that last category. Pretty much all of my life, uh, I've been what I call a congenital doubter. I remember like 12 years of age, walking home from school with these painful questions tumbling through my mind, you know, like, God, where are you? Are you there? I mean, I never see you. I ask you for stuff. You don't give it to me. And I think maybe the church people just pretend about God, sort of like Santa Claus. And then I'd feel, man, I'm weird. I must, I must be the only person in the world who feels like this. Well, the doubts drug on through high school, but then in, in college, those academic-level questions, <laughs> they put my doubts on steroids. And, and all the way through my academic career, I was dogged by doubt. And yet, all the while, I felt drawn to ministry. I, I did graduate studies in theology. I later even became a missionary, but always kind of wondered if I really was buying into what I was selling. Well, on a parallel track with this, ever since I was a child, I felt loved and affirmed by our little church. People said I, you know, I had a, a sort of a knack for public speaking, said, you're, you're just made to be a preacher, of course. I really fed off of that kind of stuff. But then I'd think, but what if they really knew? Uh, yet in spite of my doubts, <clears throat> by the time I reached college, I, I was preaching almost every Sunday somewhere. And in the, uh, in the euphoria of the preaching moment, I would sometimes feel so very spiritual. And then away from the crowd, I would feel sometimes so very unclean, troubled by my mixed motives, my lack of integrity. Well, 
About three years after Carolyn and I married, we moved to this little town in the Canadian Rockies to help plant a church from scratch. And so I no longer had my entourage of, a, you know, of a, approving fans to prop up my wobbly faith, so I had to face myself. It was just me and God and my doubts. And the internal turmoil became almost overwhelming. But I kept it to myself. I didn't even tell Carolyn. I was afraid it would crush her. I, I didn't tell anybody. Afraid my ministry would come to an end, and then if I should happen to come around to strong faith again, I, I wouldn't be able to get back into ministry. And that was scary because I couldn't, I just couldn't see any other calling that held appeal for me but ministry. And I'll, I, I began to spin, spiral downward into this dark place where I was so guilty and so confused and so troubled. At times I actually felt suicidal. Now, by God's grace, grace, I didn't go there. Uh, and enough of that. I don't want to leave you in that dark place either. I didn't stay there myself. Life has been uh, vastly different for me uh, for all these years. But I'll have to confess that the doubts do, still do hang around at times. But I'm not, they don't torment me like they used to. Uh, I've had some breakthroughs. I think the initial turning point came through the words of that troubled father in Mark chapter 9. Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. That line burst into my consciousness like a shaft of light into a dark cave. I mean, really? It's possible that I could believe and yet have doubts at the same time? This poor man had both. I, I really am a legitimate believer in spite of my doubts. And God can take, you know, even a miserable little mustard seed of faith and make it more powerful than a mighty mountain of doubt. I mean, what? Well, what a game changer. And that man's cry became my lifelong prayer. Lord, I do believe, but would you help me with my unbelief? Well, <clears throat> I also found out that I was not alone. I've met hundreds of people long-time robust believers whose strong faith still at times was honeycombed with doubt. That, you know, a doubt is sort of a normal part of a lot of healthy, life-changing faith. Uh, and I've come to think of finding faith, not so much like arriving at a doubt-free parking spot, as it is like traveling a long winding road. And along the journey, I've hammered out some principles that really help me keep moving down the road. I spell these out in my book, If I Really Believe, Why Do I Have These Doubts? And a thousand of other people seem to be helped by the same things that helped me. So I thumbnail three of them for you this morning, but with a caveat, these are not a quick fix for broken faith. Uh, long ago, I have lost all confidence in quick fixes, pat answers. But, but I offer them to you as some 
maybe some tools that can help you get off of stuck and moving down, on down the road of faith. And the first principle and the foundational one is this. Choose. Decide whether or not you really want to believe. You know, all the way through the Bible, God calls on us to make choices. And Jesus himself specifically said that faith, at least at its tap root, is actually a choice, a decision of the will. In John chapter 7, verse 17, Jesus said, whoever chooses to do God's will, he'll find out whether these teachings come from God or, or whether I speak on my own. So if you ask Lynn Anderson why he believes, probably a lot of reasons, but bottom line is, I believe because I want to believe. In fact, I need to believe. In fact, if you were to prove to me unquestionably that God is a hoax, I think I think I would lose my mind. I know you may be thinking, ah, I've often wondered if faith thing wasn't driven by some sort of psychological neediness. The God idea was, you know, created by people who could, just couldn't stand on their, on their own. Well, I, I think it's true that we believers uh, really do have a lot of deep-seated needs to believe. But does that prove that God is only the figment of our imaginations? I think it may actually be evidence to the opposite. For example, you're down at HEB, and you spot this little four-year-old wandering through the aisles in tears, and you say, uh, what's the problem, little one? And she says, I want my mommy. And you say, now, child, it's time for you to face some facts. Sweetheart, <clears throat> you don't really have a mommy. You're just feeling kind of scared and lonely right now, so you've invented this mommy thing to make yourself feel better. <laughs> of course not. The little girl is crying for her mother precisely because she has a mother. And we human beings long for God precisely because there is a God. Of course, most faith is driven by a deep, seated need to believe. But consider the flip side. Doubts can also be driven by deep-seated psychological needs not to believe. Some of us doubters uh, say that we really want to believe, but we can't because our heads get in the way. I mean, this uh, born from a virgin, raised from the dead stuff is just too preposterous for a rational person to swallow, we say. But we may actually be in denial about some powerful emotional forces that are actually pushing back against faith. Some of them may be obvious, like, if I choose Christ, I'll lose friends. Or uh, maybe a creative person might fear that faith would stifle their creativity. It, it certainly didn't seem to hurt Anthony Evans, though, did it? But, or it may be that, you know, I'm afraid Jesus will mess up my lifestyle. 
It's not that I'm too smart to believe, it's that I'm too wicked. I want to cling to my own self-centered life. Or it could be a number of things. But the most powerful pushback is from those hidden forces below the waterline, hidden even from ourselves. Things like maybe emotional scars from betrayal or abuse at the hands of some religious person that we really trusted or such. Oh, yes, deep-seated psychological needs can drive doubts as well as faith. So the big question is, decide whether or not you really want to believe. But be fair about it and probe deeply and make sure that you put your finger on the real forces that drive your answer. Which brings us to our second principle. Feed. Feed your, feed your mind faith-nourishing thoughts. Believe it or not, you do choose what you think about. I know they seem to be random, these thoughts, but in actual fact, uh, our thoughts grow out of what we choose to put in our heads. And, you know, you can put faith-nourishing food in your heads. A lot of ways, like, for example, you, you reading faith-based literature, books and stuff, or listening to really strong Christian teaching, maybe CDs or podcasts, whatever, or, or good sacred music nourishes our faith. Maybe the biggest one is conversation, faith-filled conversations and lots of them. Uh, but faith, nourishing food, does make faith grow. But the opposite is also true. Uh, feeding doubts makes doubts grow. This happened with my friend Ted. Uh, Ted confided, you know, back during my Sunday school years, I just heard one side of the story. That was the case for the Christian faith. But then he said, when I went off to university, I said, I better, be, I better be fair about this and, you know, listen to what the other side says. And so he said, I, I read everything I could get my hands on from the brightest and most competent critics of the Christian faith. Guess what? Before long, Ted was an unbeliever. No mystery. His doubts grew because he fed them. Now, you can feed your mind a lot of kinds of faith-building material, but probably uh, the staple food for the faith-nourishing diet is, is your Bible, right? The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes through hearing the message, and the message comes through the word of Christ. So that then brings us to our last and maybe most important 
principle. Act. Do what faith would do. Now, by doing what faith would do, I don't mean you should pretend to be something you're not. We call that hypocrisy, right? Rather, I mean, uh, try out the ways of faith by doing the kinds of things that Christ followers do. And uh, <clears throat> see if they fit life. I mean, don't knock it till you tried it, right? Because just thumbing through religious information by itself won't get us to faith. Just to illustrate, uh, how many of you here know how to ride a bicycle? Looks like pretty much everybody. Question, how many of you learned how to ride a bicycle by reading a book on the subject? No, we knew that didn't work. We had to climb on the thing and start pedaling, right? And then we scraped our knees and dinged up our pride, and, but eventually we wobbled off into the hang of it, and we know that sitting on the porch reading instructions wouldn't have gotten us there. And just so, uh, gathering religious information by itself won't nourish our faith either. No, we got to get on the thing. We have to move out into life and do what faith would do. And, you know, at first we may feel a bit wobbly, but, you know, as we gather momentum, the ways of Christ keep ringing true in our lives. Uh, Jesus talks about this in, in the Gospel of John. Now, in the Gospel of John, the word faith is never, it's never a noun, it's always a verb. That is, uh, faith isn't some object that you get and possess, put on the shelf. It's, it's, it's a direction that your life is moving. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 8, verses 31, 32. He said, if you uh, continue in my teaching, then you're really my disciple. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus didn't instill faith just by preaching about it. No, he invited people to walk along and share life with him. And those who did that, he called his disciples. The word disciple specifically means a following learner, an apprentice in the Christ life. And then he said, you will come to know the truth. Now, in our modern Western world, knowing something means having accurate information about it, but in, in Jesus' world, to know something was to experience it. Uh, for example, the Bible says that Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived a child. It doesn't mean that Adam could spot Eve in a crowd. It means that he experienced Eve, intimately experienced her. So how do we experience the truth? But just one little example. Uh, you've heard it said, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to 
receive, right? Nice idea. Now, how can I know if it's true? Well, if I consistently practice generosity and then I consistently feel blessed, then it's no longer just a theory. I know that it really is true that it's more blessed to give than receive. I, I then experience that truth. Now that applies to all kinds of Jesus' teachings. If we follow Christ, if we do what faith would do, after a while, in spite of unresolved doubts, the Holy Spirit begins to confirm in us that it's true, not by some, necessarily by some warm, subjective feeling, but because over and over again, the ways of Christ keep ringing true in our real life experience, so we know the truth. Which brings us back then to our principle number one. It all begins with a choice. But if you decide to follow Jesus, I think I can guarantee that you will never regret that choice. Now, that's a truth that I know because I've experienced it. I signed on with King Jesus when I was 15 years old. I'm 75 years old now, and I'll never regret that decision. Oh, you know, I've followed very poorly at times and wavered, and I know I often break his heart. And yes, the doubts do still hang around sometimes. Did I say the doubts still hang around? And yes, I have questions I'm not smart enough to answer. But you know those things don't faze me anymore. Because across 60 years, over and over and over, the ways of Christ keep ringing true in my life experience. So I know they're true. I've tasted it. Maybe like our grandmothers used to say, the proof is in the pudding. Or to say it more elegantly, you will know him when he comes, not by any din of drums, nor by the vantage of his airs, nor by anything he wears, neither known by his crown, neither known by his gown, but his presence known shall be by the holy harmony that his coming brings in thee. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we need you, and so we want you. We want to trust you more solidly. We want to walk with you more intimately, Lord. We believe as best we know how, but Lord, would you please, please help us overcome our unbelief, we pray in Jesus' name.